Hello and welcome to IMI's Talking Leadership Podcast. Today we're talking about the future fit leader and how leaders should operate in an environment of constant disruption. I'm delighted to be joined by Marco Manchesti, Research and Development Director at IMD Business School and speaker at our first IMI Talent Forum of the year. So Marco, rather than me giving an explanation of what you'll be talking about, can you just give us a brief overview of your Talent Forum today? Yes, so really looking forward to the, to the Talent Forum. So it's going to be about bridging strategy and leadership, basically. So in essence, and I've, I've looked over the materials, we're talking about change in a fast-moving environment and how leaders can both react to it in terms of strategic plans and how they can also develop themselves to be prepared for it. Would that be an accurate summary? Yes, it is. Uh, so in fact, uh, whilst uh, change isn't something new, the pace of change and the extent of its impact on companies and sometimes even in entire industries mm. is, is much greater than before. And uh, this requires two things, in my opinion. A change in the way leaders think about strategy and people or talents, mm. and uh, much greater attention on uh, who they are, who the leaders are mm. themselves. And I, I, I liked one of the phrases that I had a sneak preview of on your slides, the disruption fit leader. Is that what we're aiming for? A leader that's not only comfortable with disruption, but thrives within it? Yes. Uh, so disruption is already the norm. This mm. is why I came up with this idea of a uh, disruption fit leader. Uh, this would be a leader who is able to spot both uh, threats mm. and opportunities in a changing context. Let's give it some real world examples as sort of context for our listeners. I keep reading about how Amazon is now all things to all men and Facebook are encroaching into new unexpected marketplaces, even banking. Can you give me an example of disruption to industries and how they reacted to change or maybe how they should have reacted? Sure. As you said, it's not only Amazon or Facebook. I mean, you have Google, you have Apple, you have Tencent, Alibaba Group, Tesla. For example, who would have thought that Google would be in the business of mobility? Mm. Mm. So I would personally watch the Chinese companies. Not so long ago, we were thinking that China could uh, only copy or produce at low prices. Anyone who recently went to China is impressed by technological development over there. Mm. And Tencent and Alibaba Group have stakes in multiple industries through acquisitions such as healthcare and financial services. So definitely an impressive progression to watch. You look at China and it's well known now that they've probably gone ahead of AI development and automation, haven't they? Uh, over the US, for example. Ahead, I'm, I'm not sure whether it's, it's ahead. When you look at China, I think uh, you look at uh, execu execution power. Mm. I mean, uh, it's really, I mean, it's top down and uh, uh, there, there are huge investments and huge financial capabilities. Uh, over there. They seem to have a very overarching strategy as well, like the Belt Road, the Belt Initiative, all that sort of thing. So they really have an overarching strategy and then the processes to execute them. Exactly. What are, let's take a step back a second, what are those typical things that go wrong during a strategy implementation process? Well, it, it goes wrong if we think that the strategy has a long shelf life. Strategy is good as long as it fits the context. Mm. So I'm, I'm not saying that we should change strategy all the time and that would lead to confusion. Mm. I'm saying that we shall challenge its pertinence more often than before. Okay. And you talk about the old model being gone, that traditional define the goal, agree the plan and execute framework. 
What's that model going to be replaced with, do you think? Indeed. So that, that old model is disconnected from its environment. It was fine 20 years ago when there was space for almost every actor in the business and provided you had a good product, a decent strategy, and you were watching that what traditional competitors were doing, you had good chances to succeed. Mm. Uh, now we need a model that is context-centric, a model where leaders are extremely alert to changes. Let me take an example. Mm. Volkswagen and the diesel gate, we all remember that yeah. one. This was a failure from the company to see the shift, to see that some independent labs would analyze emissions, to see that the population and society is much more mindful of the impact of pollution and that there is no acceptance for cheating on these aspects. Mm. What is interesting now is that Volkswagen has changed its goal from being number one in unit sales and beating Toyota at the time uh, to being a leading provider of sustainable mobility. Mm. So it's quite a shift. Now, we will see if this is marketing or if they have translated that goal into measures and incentives into a new organization with more diversity mm. in the top management. So this is the idea. Alignment between goals and incentives. And from that standpoint, it is quite interesting to look at the annual reports mm. and the past ones. Prior to the diesel gaze, there was a clear imbalance of financial indicators in the report, which is, in my opinion, which, in my opinion, significantly contributed to what happened. So the, the targets were driving the strategy rather than strategy driving targets? So the, the two need to be, uh, to be aligned. Mm. Uh, the question is, uh, what are the, the targets that, uh, that you define? Or, uh, you know, the, one part of the goal of uh, Volkswagen was to, to be responsible. Mm. But when you were looking at the annual report, there was a disconnect because mm. sustainability was a small part in the 2014 annual report, for example. Sustainability was just a small part of it. You know, the hard stuff was on financials. Yeah. So, so this, in my opinion, triggers in the operations uh, uh, a situation where departments are obliged to deliver on some things and sometimes it's just impossible. Yeah. Uh, so you need to find solutions. And you propose a model, uh, the integrated alertness model. Can you just explain that a little bit more? Sure. I, I think that to be successful in this new business environment, leaders need to go beyond watching the ecosystem in which they evolve. This uh, strategic monitoring is only the systemic layer of what I call the integrated alertness leadership model. There are two other layers that leaders should watch. The second one is the people layer. Leaders should, in my opinion, be extremely mindful of the evolution in, evolutions in the workplace. Um, with uh, artificial intelligence uh, and robotics coming, for example. Uh, leaders have a responsibility in preparing their workforce to Industry 4.0. Mm. If they don't do that, then we will collectively have big issues, in my opinion. You know, a couple of weeks ago, the Amazon warehouses in Spain uh, were stuck in a crisis with employees. And you also have the French Yellow Vest mm. uh, protest in France. And behind this, there is the broad issues of inequality. In other words, there is no point in having AI and robots uh, run logistics uh, in a company if uh, then trucks cannot leave the warehouses yeah. due to protests. So this is for the macro level, but in the people layer of this uh, model, you also find what is 
the most common entity in all companies, which are teams. Yeah. A management team is a team, a board is a team, functional teams, squads and task forces, if you want to talk about agile, all are teams. And the leader, in my opinion, should be an expert at managing teams. So that was for the second layer. Mm. So, so the first layer was the systemic layer. The, yeah. the, the second layer is the people layer. And the third layer is about who the leaders are. Uh, and this is what I call the self layer in the model. It talks about three connections. And so we, we're really at individual level. So it's the connection to the present moment, uh, to past and future, and to something in temporal, uh, which is the, the purpose in life. Mm. The problem for the leader is that he or she tends by default to be connected to past and future because this is where the mind is. Mm. Uh, this is the reasoning, the planning, uh, uh, finding solutions, mm. uh, all this rationalization. So you, you look back in the past to, to find insights and uh, you are trying to, uh, to see the future. So past, past and, uh, and future, but not in the present moment. So for the leader uh, to be uh, well-grounded, it is important to connect the three, present moment through the connection with body and emotions, yeah. uh, the mind, of course, and the purpose in life. And this balance is particularly important when in crisis situations. So uh, I'll, I'll try and summarize this probably inaccurately. But the systematic layer would be the sort of continuing process leaders have to, to use as a framework to deliver strategy. The people layer is how they deliver that strategy through. And the self layer is almost how they ignite the two through a, you know, being authentic leadership so people will actually follow them. Would that be correct? Yes, exactly. I mean, authentic leadership will be uh, the expression if you want, of a balance in the three connections that, that, that I was talking about. Super. And we're always interested here, obviously, about the leaders that drive that change. You, you touched on it there, but what kind of leaders are needed in this new environment where disruption is the norm? What, what can they develop within themselves? Well, as I said, we need leaders who think in an appropriate way, in a context-centric manner, both at uh, the strategic or systemic uh, level and at the people level, but also leaders who are extremely mindful of themselves or of their inner state. Mm. Uh, but there is something else. A logical reaction to this new environment is to look for speed. Mm. And um, instead of speed, I prefer uh, uh, seeing leaders as being experts at what I call informed accelerations. Mm. Uh, let me take an example. Uh, think about making a pass in a ball game. Yeah. Mm? The perfect pass is the one that lands right in the ends or at the feet of the teammate. However, a pass that creates acceleration stretches a teammate's capabilities to reach it. Yeah. And the pass should be challenging enough to create the acceleration, but not so challenging that, that they miss the ball. Yeah. So the art is knowing where to make the acceleration, when and how intense it should be. This is why I call informed acceleration. And if the leader does a good job at sensing the three layers we were talking about before, then he or she will know how, where and when. 
So one thing for sure, speed all the time and everywhere mm-hmm. might create you know, immediate performance, but definitely exhaustion in the long term. Yeah, it's not sustainable really, is it? Absolutely. So smart, informed accelerations. And you talk about how leadership is more important than technology, and I can certainly see the point there. Is there not an argument to be made, however, that good individuals can only give you marginal gains while applying technology to a challenge in a way that your competitor doesn't can be a real game changer? I'm thinking about that CEO of where to invest. So my point is slightly different. Mm. A good leader will be able to choose the optimal portfolio of personalities and competencies in the company. So these people will be able to choose the right technology to make the difference. Mm. So implementing innovative technologies only happens if we have the right talent, uh, the right talents inside and uh, an environment that allows for failure, for example. Mm. So hiring the right people and setting the culture and the environment are the responsibilities of the leader and the enablers for this technology. Um, uh, going a little tangent here uh, on failure. How should a leader deal with failure during a strategy implementation process? Should they build it into the system? You know, on the one hand, you know, be, because the context changes all the time, it should failure be is inevitable. Yeah. Yeah. To, 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 to a great extent. So, so um, what you want is to, to, uh, to, to see it better so you can anticipate. So it's all um, about that context that yeah. you're talking about. Yeah. So that's, that's a, a first point. But the second point is, you know, when failure is not bad, persistent failure, that is bad. Mm. So if you fail early, then you learn. Mm. So for me, it's really setting this, uh, this culture where failure is allowed uh, but at the same time where we, we are really obsessed in, in um, identifying it early, look, like you, killing early projects is, yeah. is, is something that is very, very important because then you can, uh, can have those resources, financial or people resources directed to another, another project. Mm. So, uh, so yes, I mean, to some extent, failure is built in. Um, okay, we've talked a lot about the challenge. Let's look at the solutions and, and specifically talk about how that CEO or HR director listening to this can get their leadership, uh, their organization needs. So let's start with the internal. Is it possible for leaders to develop the characteristics they will need or is this an innate, inbuilt characteristics? So I, I think that um, it's a mindset issue. Mm. Okay, so it's not necessarily a DNA issue, it's, it's a mindset issue. In my opinion, one quality that is absolutely of critical importance is openness. Mm. So it's openness to listen to others. I mean, this kind of mindset where you say, um, what if they were right? Mm. Which also means that you have allowed people to challenge you on, uh, on decisions, on, um, on directions, mm. and so on. Openness to learn new things you know, and openness to try and allow for mistakes again. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, when you think about it, how many leaders do we see who think that uh, they are done with learning when they reach the CEO level? Yeah. I mean, you, you have many of these and it's wrong because it's, it's, it's a contrary of openness, actually. Well, it's, it's always a constant evolution, isn't it? When you're, when you're working in these environments and, and how do you develop this? Is it through practice? Um, what advice would you give to that CEO or HR director that wants to develop, to develop these agile characteristics in their leadership teams? 
So I would say start with the top teams and then cascade in the organization. But start with the top. Yeah. The idea is to, uh, to align on purpose, to make sure that there's real integration within the members, that there is no retention of information, use feedback as a tool, make sure that uh, you have the right competencies in the teams, including uh, some capacity for innovation in every team. Make sure that everyone has a good understanding of the ecosystem in which it evolves to avoid generating uh, antibodies in the organization and work on the collective self, which means knowing each other so well that, uh, that you know the strengths and weaknesses and also the inner state of each member at yeah. a given point in time. And with all the talk of technology, is there a case to be made that maybe this generation of leadership that we're talking about will come from those in the lower age brackets? It's a cliche, and it's a cliche that's been busted, I think, many, many times. But as a general rule, they will be the ones most comfortable with technology. We're talking about millennials here, really. Yeah. So I think that the point is not being comfortable with technology, but being open to it. And in my view, a senior leader can be open to technology and act as an enabler in aligning the resources needed. Also, you don't have to be a millennial to understand millennials. Yeah. You just have to be open, again, this concept of openness, and mindful that there are significant differences in the expectations of the new generations. Um, so you need to set the environment accordingly so you can retain the talents you want. Also, presumably, in those teams, you want people representing as many different needs as possible because you want to serve those needs, ultimately. Yes, and this, this is also about the diversity in the teams. You don't, uh, you don't necessarily want... I mean, the, the competencies that you have in the team, you know, they have to do also with seniority, with experience. Of course, if, if, a, senior people is, is, if a senior person is not, is not open, doesn't, doesn't want to understand or want to learn, doesn't want to understand the millennials and the, the new generation and so on and so forth, then that's a problem. Yeah, well, they just don't have the mindset then. Yeah. Um, so, uh, looking outside an organization, what are the general rules, philosophies that organizations should follow when hiring talent in this new landscape? Is it good enough to do that all, put out the job spec, have the person come in and interview them based on that job spec? Should there be different uh, methodologies? So, I think that one element is defining what is a core in a, in a, in a company and mm. this, what is core is, is evolving all the time. Uh, for example, I'm working in executive education, and we understood very early that uh, online learning was core. Mm. So that was many years ago already. So not because we do MOOCs all of a sudden, mm. but uh, because learning is blended now, and the art is in the optimal mix of online and face-to-face. So on what is core, I guess you want competencies inside. Mm. But for the rest, it can be you know, in partnerships. It can be so. So we need to think broader than the internal competencies, in my view. So you do. Uh, c- can you test the mindset? Um, can you actually build that into your um, hiring process? Is that possible? So yes. So so in the interview process, what uh, what you want to understand this is this is a bit the same thing that I was saying about um, you know the the the, the leaders you know starting. Uh, with, with the top teams. So a model that I have used uh, in the past, I was seven years, I would say, is uh, this model that uh, I call Pikes, uh, yeah. Pikes model. It's during the interview process, 
and uh, monitoring the performance of the team, it's uh, it's about looking at the P. It stands for purpose. Mm -hmm. So why is a person joining a company? So what what's the what's the incentive there for the the person? But but really the deep one. Yeah. Then you look at the the ability of that person to integrate the team, and if the team will integrate that person. So that requires some projection. Yeah. And then, of course, the competencies, but I'm looking also as, at the, the ability of that person to bring innovation in, in the team. So these are the two, and that's, that would be uh, for the K, knowledge. Yeah. And the, an, an unusual one is um, understanding of the ecosystem. So um, if, for example, I have uh, a new candidate to work in my team in execed, I would test, you know, the capacity of that person to understand the the execed uh, education. But if the person is coming from another field, which is often the the, the case, then I uh, I would test uh, the sensitivity of, of that person in understanding the, uh, the previous ecosystem. Mm. So um, just on that point, um, when you're hiring, say, a bank hiring a bank, someone from a banking industry, is there a danger that they're going to get the same it's not going to be innovative thoughts coming in. Whereas example, if you hired from retail into a bank, they might see the bank services in a different way. I think that um, it's really at the personal level. Yeah. I mean, you, you, uh, it would be a generalization, you know, to... Uh, we don't like generalizations, we like accuracy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's, it's really at the personal level and you would, uh, and you would want to test that piece uh, regardless of the industry. Uh, where the person is coming from. Perfect. And let's return to that disruption fit leader. And I've talked about a job description, so I'm probably contradicting myself here, but could you describe them? If you could write the perfect job description that isn't just a list of skills, how would it read? So for a disruption fit leader is someone who is a top-notch sensor. Mm. So I'm referring to the, these three layers of uh, the integrated... Um, the systematic, the people and the self. Yes, exactly. A master in creating informed accelerations. And last but not least, someone who would be obsessed in finding an opening in every context alteration. So I, I like the example of the professional boxer mm. who, after you know quite some years of training, would be able to see an opening in every attack of the opponent yeah and uh, so so when you have a context alteration there are two sides of it one is the threat and you want to take preventive action or mitigation actions but the other side to not to be forgotten is what is the opening what is the opportunity yeah and every time the, the so, so so really it's a mindset it's it's um, so so these would be the, the the three elements that i would put in that job description super one of the big issues we constantly run across in change processes, and you talked about this a little bit, is how fast you have to move versus how much you have to make sure you're moving in the right direction. Sprinting backwards isn't very helpful. So where's the balance? Um, and I know this is a very difficult question to answer. How do leaders know when to move and when to take a deep breath before they move? Well, sometimes there is no choice. Huh? For, <laughs> for a given period, you need... Uh, everyone's focused effort to implement change or launch a new product. Typically, changing an ERP in, in a company mm -hmm. is something so painful that you want to, the project to go fast. 
but you also want to minimize any of the bugs post-implementation. So I would say in this situation, it would be as fast as possible and as slowly as necessary. Yeah. For the rest, you, you will know, for example, the, um, if a disruption forces you to change the business model, if you are well aware of how your organization works and what is the situation in the three layers, then before implementing the new model, you might want to, for example, to work on the culture. Mm. So this is when you step back and you say, hmm, I mean, my, uh, my intuition would say, go, go, go on the business model. But, but actually to be successful, I need to step back and work on, on something else, like prepare the field to be effective with the, yeah. the, 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 the transformation. To wrap up, What's the one piece of advice you always want to get across when talking to someone about the subject? If you had 30 seconds, what's vital to get across to that CEO? So, watch how the context changes fit what you are doing with where you place the incentives, with your strategy. Make sure that this context-centric thinking is not only happening at the leadership level, but as much as possible also in the operation. Uh, the leader cannot be everywhere, so it needs to count on everyone to think in an agile way. And last but not least, take great care of balancing of balance in your three connections, the present moment, the past and future, and the purpose in life, because this is what will allow you to uh, face crisis and to get out of the crisis uh, successfully. Marco, thank you so much for joining us. I am very much looking forward to the town forum later on. And um, for the listeners, if you would like any more information on IMI member events, go to www.imi.ie. Marco, thanks so much. My pleasure.